Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. everyone and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm Joe Lowry and I'm joined by my co-host Jordan Angeli. Jordan, another off-season week, another week where we don't know what's happening with the MLS regular <laughs> season. In spite of all that, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. They're keeping us on our toes <laughs> and just eager to know what's coming next, but... Uh... Yeah, I think we'll all find out at the same time. Nonetheless, we always have something to talk about. And I think that we love these types of shows where we get to hear from our listeners because it's really all about you guys. And we're trying to do our best to um, not only give you information that we find interesting from games, but also know what want to know what you guys are wanting to know. So um, this should be a good one. Absolutely. We are we are at your command, listeners. Not entirely, <laughs> but there is some truth to that. So today we are we are going through a list of listener questions. I put out a call on Twitter at the end of last week and you guys delivered. There are some awesome questions in here and there's really no reason to wait any longer. Jordan, this first question is from JDB who says, I've heard pundits saying that Miles Robinson regressed last year. How so and to what level? American soccer analysis goals added metrics still liked him and he was brought into U.S. men's national team camp and started. I added that. So it made me curious. JDB, first of all, I want to know how, like, how do we get to the level of pundit, Jordan? What, what do we have oh, to do? Is there some sort of challenge that, that we have is, to overcome? What is that? You know, that is so funny because I was like, wow, I just love that he dropped pundit in there. Like, um, it's such an English term. He's bringing, it, he's bringing it to America. And I don't know. Like, do we just call ourselves pundits now? Like, we can be the pundits who either have that same idea or maybe think differently. So do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I want to lay some of the groundwork first and address the, the second part of his question. I agree with your pundit qualification. I think we are pundits <laughs> now just because we said we are. This past year, Miles Robinson was 24th in terms of ASA's goals added metric, which for listeners out there is a metric that measures how much value each individual action has on the soccer field. So he wasn't a top tier center back in terms of the numbers, but his numbers stayed pretty consistent from this past season to the year before that. 
Robinson didn't have a perfect season last year, and he didn't have a perfect season the year before that in 2019. Same in 2018, but at least statistically in, in what goals added can measure, he actually didn't have a major drop-off in production. I love this, Joe, because I knew you were going to go to the stats and bring something really good like that. <laughs> so I didn't even go there. I was actually looking more, and it's interesting that you say that, because I think it's a really hard year to judge Miles Robinson. Agreed. Because of who Atlanta United was this year and just the turmoil that they had as a club and trying to figure out who they wanted to be on the pitch. And it didn't seem like it kind of added up between the players and the coaching staff. And and the big thing that I want to say about Miles Robinson is if you you think about him and his young career. Well, his first couple years, he was playing along one of the alongside or sometimes, if not every game next to LGP and Michael Parkhurst. Yeah. And when you think about the leadership and, you know, I, 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 we sometimes talk about LGP and how he can be up and down, but Parkhurst is solid in his communication and his knowledge of when to drop and step and, um, and I think that that really guided Miles Robinson more than we probably talk about. And so when I'm looking at how he performed this year, I think it was a little bit of, okay, I have to now bear some of that burden and be a little bit different than I have been. And even if it was a difficult year for him individually, I think it was probably a little bit of both. I think for Atlanta United and what they went through, I think it's almost a really good opportunity for him to understand what a difficult year in Major League Soccer is for himself, for his game personally, because I think that that will help him grow because he did have such success so early on. That's really well said. I want to go back to that LGP point. When you lose, the and even Michael Parkhurst, when you lose those center back partners that he had when he first broke in with Atlanta United, and then fast forward to last season under Frank DeBoer for the first you know few games of the season, then you have a coaching change, and Atlanta just straight up wasn't good last year. They struggled to find an identity and to find how they want to play. Miles Robinson, as still a younger center back, was trying to find his way in all of that. And he had some bad games, don't get me wrong. He had some bad performances but that's not unexpected. That's that's soccer. That's how this game works. And I think he's just as much of a talent, as much of a 1v1 defender, as much of a space eater, as much of a ball player even as he, he's been in the past. And we saw that a little bit with the men's national team on Sunday night. Yes, against a very poor Trinidad and Tobago team. But Miles Robinson, the talent is still there. I don't think, even if he did regress, I would... I think he probably did, but I think that's more due to how Atlanta United regressed as a unit. And I think Miles Robinson and Atlanta is going to come back stronger this year under Gabriel Heinze. I think there's very few players who, in their progress as who they are as a player, don't have these little regressions. And I wouldn't even say it's a big regression. The one thing I would say, since you mentioned the men's national team game and Miles Robinson getting the start, I will say that if... He is going to be that player. If he's going to be a starting center back for not only Atlanta United, but if he aspires to be that for the men's national team. I talked about this with another center back this year already, way back um, when we were talking about Philadelphia Union and Mark McKenzie, is there's little movements because you had mentioned Miles Robinson's eat space up so well, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think he gets tempted to not not anticipate where to move 
in order to create the best angle because he can always make that up. And I would challenge him to say, with the ball, can he move into the position quicker to be a better option for whoever has the ball? Can he cover space if his uh, partner center back is stepping? Can he cover that space a little bit earlier to make sure that he is providing the cover that that player needs? I just think he... He doesn't anticipate, he reacts because he can react. And I want him to become a little bit a little bit more anticipatory. That's so good. I love that nitpicky. You need that. You need that, that edge. You need that constant yeah. evolution as a player, especially as a talented younger player to, to reach that next level. Jordan, I love that. I love that a lot. Our next question on today's show is from David Beffert, who says, who asks rather, how would you characterize Timbers coach Gio Savarese's tactical style. Jordan, I feel like this is right up our alley because we spent yeah. so much time talking about the Timbers and MLS's back and throughout the regular season and even postseason last year. How would you describe how they play and how Savarese wants that Timbers team to play? The first thing I think about is they are a they thrive on counterattacking. Yep. So I would say they are uh, not necessarily a, they want to defend all the time, but they are solid in their defensive shape in order to allow them to counterattack most effectively. I 100% agree. I think the way that Savarese has that Portland team playing, they scored a lot of goals last year, but they didn't do that by consistently being a ball-dominant team. They did that by being a pain to break down. They did that by being they did that by controlling games defensively and then pressing the ball in their defensive third or in that middle third and then getting out on the break. And when they did that, they would play through Diego Chara. They would play through Eric Williamson. They would play through Valerian at the beginning of the season, Sebastian Blanco. And losing him really hurt their ability to be a possession team. Although in that first round playoff game that they had in the West against Dallas, they actually did try to break Dallas down with the ball and almost won that game with possession. But still, even if we set that outlier aside, this Timbers team is a team that wants to press you in their own half and then break out into space and use space to get into the attack and create chances and eventually score goals. Which which makes you understand why when you're talking about Portland, they rely so heavily on their uh, holding midfielder in Diego Chara because they go forward so quickly that then they kind of get a little bit disconnected. So defensively, he really helps them say a little bit, uh, he can break up plays when the other team tries to break them back down on that op- opposing counterattack, if that makes sense. I really do think the thing that when I got this question, Joe, I was thinking, I just like Gio Savarese too, because this said tactical style. And I feel like this team mimics his style. It's He's such a passionate guy. When you watch him on the sideline, yeah. it's like you want to know who he is, huh? You want to be his friend and like have a conversation with him because he is like all in it all the time. And I really do think that passion is spreads out onto the field into who this Timbers squad is because when they counterattack, I feel like that's one of the things you see most is like that passion and that creativity and the way that they um, their wingers can tuck inside, their uh, outside back sometimes get all the way to the end line, but really there's so many creative players who can break you down either on the dribble or with um, just beautiful threaded balls to that next outlet player. It reflects Savarese's personality or what we can tell of his personality on the sideline. And I just respect that we had an answer to this question. I don't (laughs) think we can have an answer to this question about 
a team and a coach having a tactical style for every team in MLS. I don't think mm. each team has a style. And we'll talk about that more in just a second with our next question. But respect to the Timbers and to Savarese for having a way they want to play, for mostly operating within that, but also being flexible at times when situations call for it, like their game against Dallas in the MLS Cup playoffs last year. I just I want to give props to the Timbers for having a defined way of playing. Yeah, that's true. Jordan, on to our third question. This one is from Justin, who asks, were there foundations for styles of play set by Vancouver and Houston last season? Both faced their own adversities over 2020, but it still feels like there's no clear identity as to what they want to look like on the field. Ooh, this is a big question, Justin, but we're going to do our best to break it down. And there's kind of two parts here. There's the Houston part and the Vancouver part. Jordan, which should we start with first? Well, let's start with, let's start with Houston because I actually respect Justin for saying this because I think it is a little challenging to look at both of these teams and really say, is there a clear identity? Is there a way that they want to play? And I think you have to start with, okay, how do they typically set up? And then how do we see them trying to break the other team down? So with Houston, we know Tab Ramos and he wants to set up in that 4-3-3. But when they're attacking, it seems like you can't watch them every time and say, okay, this is their typical, this is what they like to do. No, I'm with you on that. And I want to add a caveat here before I talk more. 2020, Justin kind of mentioned it in the question, but to emphasize it further, 2020 was such a bonkers year in general and especially for soccer and for new coaches like Tab Ramos taking over a new team. That is the worst time to take over a new team, to to lack that continuity and to lack knowing that you have a game on this Saturday and then another game the next Saturday and another game. I mean, this is just an awful time or that was an awful time to take charge of a group. And so I want to give, I almost want to give a pass to to any of these new coaches that came in last season, but just especially Tab Ramos because we're talking about it right now. That disclaimer out of the way, the 4-3-3 that they played out of in almost every game last year was consistent. But how they played within that 4-3-3 was less consistent. They tried to play a mix of possession and vertical soccer. So, so sometimes they'd want to break teams down with the ball and other times they'd want to get out in transition and get on the break. That's, that's fine. But I think that's only fine up to a point. I think you need you need some sort of set pattern, some sort of set plays. If you think about Manchester City, which is a very, very high-level example, Pep Guardiola would be happy to play in transition every single time if there was that space to attack every single time. And if there was a consistent way that he could get into the attacking half and score goals, that's not always the case, which is why we see Manchester City try to break teams down with the ball. So there's always going to be a trade-off between possession and between transition, but it's about finding that balance and finding when those moments are. And I honestly don't think we saw that from Houston last year. That's a really good point because it's not, when we talk about even going to Portland, I think you, that last question, you said it right, is a team can have a tactical style but the game itself presents problems you have to solve all the time. And in order to be a successful team, you have to properly solve those problems with the right decision. And what you're saying there is, I feel like really true about Houston is just the wrong decision in that particular moment. Like they try to transition or play long when it's actually time to build out because of what the defense is showing them. And it's almost harsh. All this is almost harsh to Houston's attack because, yes, they finished at the bottom of the West last year, but they had the fifth most expected goals in MLS ahead of Toronto, ahead of Orlando, ahead of Columbus, even in the regular season. 
But Jordan, they also gave up the third most expected goal. So they had, they had the attack moving even after Albert Elise left midway through the season to go and play at Boavista in Portugal. They had their attack working to an extent. But defensively, that's where they really struggled. And I think coming into year two of Tab Ramos, that needs to be the focus. The attack will need to be, con- uh, will need to be drilled and will need to be worked on. Yes, in preseason. But defensively, you can't give up that many chances. You can't consistently give up those high-quality opportunities to the opponent. Houston drafted Ethan Bartlow with the sixth pick in the Super Draft, who is a center back that a lot of people like, and hopefully he can make an impact at the back for Houston. But as a unit, their defensive solidity and, and across the back line as well, that's going to need to be improved coming into year two if Tab Ramos wants to play a somewhat aggressive, somewhat vertical attacking 4-3-3. Now that we kind of get through Houston, let's go to Vancouver because most of what I, when I think about Vancouver from 2020, I actually go back to MLS's back. Same. Which is, which is funny because I know there was a lot of season after that. But I'm thinking just with that question from Justin, the adversities over 2020. Vancouver might have been the hardest hit team when it came to who didn't come with them to MLS's back Absolutely. and really how they continued to, um, perform or figure out ways to try to perform with the absence of, I think it was 11 players. It was a ridiculous amount of players. Yeah, they were missing a ton of guys, more than any other team that went to that tournament, Nashville and Dallas excluded from that whole conversation. Vancouver was hit hard. Yeah. So I think it's, for me, I go all the way back there, but I think the adversities for them, because we know who Mark Dos Santos is and with his time under Bob Bradley, how there's influence of that in his game. But I feel like this was a really hard year for him to put all those puzzle pieces together and be a team that uh, possesses and breaks teams down, but also is successful at that in winning games. Yeah, Vancouver confused me, man. They confused me. They had the fourth, <laughs> qu- quick couple stats here. They okay. had the fourth lowest XG total in the league last year. So they weren't good at creating chances. And they also gave up the second most XG in the league last year. So they weren't good at at stopping teams from creating chances either. Those are bad stats. They weren't a good team under Mark Dos Santos. There were entertaining moments at MLS's back. I remember that game against the Earthquakes that finished 4-3 or 5-4, something bananas like that. That That was was fun, right? Yeah, MLS is back at the wild world of sports. Yeah, that was the wild (laughs) world of sports. I, I will say the one thing that Vancouver had consistently last year actually kind of goes in direct opposition to Mark Dos Santos' time under Bob Bradley and how LAFC play. Vancouver didn't keep the ball. They had the lowest possession percentage in MLS last year. No team possessed the ball and had the ball less than the Whitecaps did. And I don't know, Jordan, if that's because Mark Dos Santos wants that or -hmm. if that's just because he's trying to play with the cards that he's been dealt by the Vancouver front office. I don't have the answer to that. And I'm also not sure if you can call that that desire to play without the ball a style of play. Maybe you can. Maybe we already did it with the Timbers. But I don't think there was a consistent, deliberate approach to attacking out of that low defensive shape. There wasn't a consistent formation or consistent personnel in any major way. And so I don't I don't think we really saw a defined style of play other than one simple desire or one simple execution of just not playing with the ball. So we're watching Vancouver this year to say, all right, if they still are at this place where they are the least possession, least amount of possession in any of any team in MLS, at the end of the 2021 season, we are saying this is a tactic. <laughs> we're saying this is how they want to play because I think it's a really what you're saying also is just kind of wait and see. And 
I think this Vancouver squad has some pieces that they they can play. It just doesn't have it hasn't seemed to fit together quite yet. It hasn't fit together yet. And and I like how you you're kind of ending us there. There's reason to be hopeful for Vancouver fans. They yeah. have some talent already on their squad. I really like Michael Baldissimo in midfield. I like Leonard Awusu in midfield. Those are two young-ish central midfielders that I enjoy watching. They've got Lucas Cavallini up top, who led the team in goals and XG last year. And they've they've started to splash some cash this offseason already. Mm-hmm. They signed 20-year-old Colombian winger Daibar Caicedo for a reported $2.5 million fee. So that's not chump change for Vancouver. They're also making some real offers for central attacking midfielders that are that are real talented players that have interest from European teams. So there are things to be excited about for Vancouver. But yeah, we're watching in 2021 to see if you guys are doing the same thing. (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. This next question, Jordan, comes from Austin, who asks, not he's not asking an Austin FC question, he's asking how will or how should the Sounders adapt to playing without Jordan Morris? I love this question. This yeah. is the next natural question in in the dialogue surrounding Jordan Morris going to Swansea City. He's officially a mm-hmm. Swansea City player. He's actually gotten on the field for them in the championship. So now the question for Brian Schmetzer and for Garth Lagerway is, is what do they do? What do they do with this team on the field without Jordan Morris? I've got a couple thoughts. I'm sure you do as well, Jordan. What would you recommend if you're a coaching consultant for the Sounders? How are you getting this team to play without Jordan Morris? Well, I did a lot of this as just like a what if kind of scenario. Yeah, of course. And, and, um, I plugged some of these players in before I knew that uh, Leardom didn't get his option taken. So uh, he's yeah. a part of my he's a part of my um, team. So I'll just say outside backs. We'll see what those are. But I don't I don't know if you adapt too much as the way the the tactics and the style of play of the Sounders because it works, Joe. Yeah, what they're doing works, and I think that you can plug in a player and still, yeah, he's not going to be Jordan Morris. But you're going to figure out a way to be successful because you still have a lot of other good puzzle pieces that work really well together in the way that you play. I think that's the first logical thing to do is if you can find the personnel to roughly fit in those holes. Another wrinkle to this, 
Jordan Gustav Svensson is gone as well. Jordan Morris is gone. Gustav Svensson is gone. So that probably means that the Christian Roldan playing out wide on the right side as a right attacking midfielder in a 4-2-3-1, that's probably gone. And so now the Sounders almost need two wide attacking players, one to replace Jordan Morris and one in a roundabout way to replace Gustav Svensson. It's interesting because a lot of the things that I, when I was prepping for this, I saw some of the things with the the men's team last uh, on Sunday night the U.S. men's national team that I thought would be interesting to implement with Seattle is can they play in and it has to do with Rui Diaz coming back and being a little bit more of a playmaker hmm. but I think they play some kind of formation with uh two front runners because Will Bruin and Rui Diaz are goal scorers and I think Rui Diaz can not only be that goal scorer but I think he can almost drop back into the midfield and pull the the back line apart with that movement a little bit more. So they're still defending in a 4-4-2 block that Seattle tends to defend in. But then attacking-wise, they start, let's say it looks more like a 3-5-2. Or I even said like a 2-4-3-1, which is like a... It's really those outside backs drifting a little bit more to become a part of the attack or a wing back at times. And I think it depends on if you have holding midfielders, like you mentioned, Joe. But also, if you have those two players up front, then Rui Diaz and attack can come into the midfield a little bit more and provide support for players. And it really just all then de- depends on where Ladero floats because you want him to have freedom. You want him to go wherever he wants to go. And then you always know that you have Will Bruin up there. So I think, I don't know, I, I feel like there could be some different tactics in how they attack, but I want to see personally, Rui Diaz and Will Bruin on the field at the same time. I also have 3-5-2. It's kind of my main <laughs> my main option. If the 4-2-3-1 and finding those replacements isn't as easy as as maybe it sounds like. Yeah, so we're on the same page with that. I think I think the 3-5-2 could work because of those two number nines, Will Bruin and Raul Rui Diaz. Mm-hmm. You almost need to bring in another nine, or you have Afonso Ocampo Chavez coming up and he's he's been through the Seattle Academy. And so he is an option kind of in one of those forward spots as well off the bench. So you've got, you've got two forwards and then you've got, uh, for wingbacks, you've got Brad Smith or Nuhu as a left-sided wingback, both attacking-minded fullbacks. So that works well. Alex Roldan can definitely play as that right-sided wingback. And then in the middle, you've got Joao Paulo, Christian Roldan, Jordi DeLem, or Kellen Rowe, even they brought in recently, or, or a couple of youngsters. They have Danny Leva. They have other guys that have been through their academy that could really be seeing some minutes, all kind of because Jordan Morris is no longer a part of this team for the next six months. Right. And even with that, mentioning Kellen Rowe, he could play as one of those higher midfielders, attacking midfielders yeah. who um, can allow, tuck really far inside and allow the outside wing back to get forward and be a playmaker. He's a creative type player. And with the runs that Seattle are able to make and the creativity they have with the players up front, I really do think that that would fit his style of play and his thinking pattern to plug him in there because not only could he create in front of the back line, but he could also push on beyond if Rui Diaz comes into the midfield, like I had mentioned. Well, Kellen Rowe could run in behind or so could Christian Roldan run in behind and try to get in behind that back line. To tie a nice little bow on this question, which to remind me and you was how (laughs) will or how should the Sounders adapt to playing without Jordan Morris? I think it's going to be a lot of the same. I think they're going to be yeah. missing, obviously, one of the best attackers in MLS. But I don't think we see a ton of stylistic changes. I think we're more likely to see formational changes and see mm-hmm. just some different 
organizations and different layouts on the field. And that's that's the beauty of the Sounders roster right now. They have positional flexibility. They have guys who can play multiple spots. And I think they'll be comfortable trying out different layouts and different shapes without Jordan Morris if they if, if that's what Brian Schmetzer decides they need to do. Right. All right. I think we have time for one more question, Joe. One more question, Jordan. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. Here we go. This one is from Chris Smith, who says, I have my own opinion. Well, Chris, we're going to need to hear it at some point. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on Paxton Pomichol and Gianluca Busio's best positions. Okay, first, I feel like I never say Paxton Pomichol. Pomichol? Pomichol? I I can't say it. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. I think that's the key, Jordan. Just say it really quick and then no one will will hear. So where do we think Paxton Pomichol and Gianluca Busio should be playing on the field? Jordan, start with whichever player you like. Let's start with Paxton Pomichol. Because I think he's a little bit farther out of front of mind since we didn't get to see him play really at all this year, which was such a disappointment. Um, okay, some of the things that I, I said about him, he is so smooth on the ball. Paxton Pomichol is, you want the ball at his feet. He can not only uh, figure out ways to beat you on the dribble, but he can also use his distribution skills as well. He has a good range of passing. And the other thing that I mentioned about him and I wanted to mention is he is really good at counterpressing. Yeah. Really good at counterpressing. And so I said, with all those abilities and kind of the way that Dallas plays, I think he's best as, as an eight with the ability to have a little bit more space in front of him so he can drive into that space with the ball or time is run. So if Dallas does get into the wings, he's coming into the box at the right time, a little bit late, Frank Lampard-esque, finding that time to crash into the box and and find a, a goal. So I think he's best at an eight. What do you think? I'm with you 100%. I don't think he's a six because I think he brings too much too much dribbling ability and too much like ability to progress the ball centrally on the dribble and by carrying it forward. I don't think he's a 10 because I'm not sure he has that ultra creative ability in his back pocket. And I also don't right. think he's a winger because even though I just said he has dribbling ability, I don't think he has that kind of 1v1 dribbling ability. And so even though well, we've I seen think- Pomichol... Go ahead, Jordan. Oh, I was just going to say with that point about being a winger, I think he thrives in that three 360 view of the field, not just... Yeah having a sideline behind him and working in front, I think he's best because when he's central, you don't know where he's going to go next. And I think it allows him to use his creativity a little bit more. He's good in that 360 arena. He can play with either foot. I think that's another big thing. He's, I believe he's left-footed, but the fact that I'm not 1,000% sure about that is a good indicator of how strong he is with both feet. I think his defensive work rate and willingness to press is also a huge asset for me, Paxton Pomichol's ceiling is highest as as a better version of Latif Blessing. In a 4-3-3, playing as one of those eights in front of a six, I think that's a great spot for him. Also, maybe as the, the more advanced half of a double pivot in a 4-2-3-1, if he has a more defensive-minded player next to him, Pomichol can, can then range forward and get into the attack a little bit more and still provide that defensive cover. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that as well. Okay, on to Gianluca Busio. He's a little bit younger. Pomichol's 21 years old. Busio's only 18 years old. And because we've seen Busio at a couple, well, actually at a bunch of different spots for right. Sporting Kansas City, this one is hard for me. I've got it down between two. Uh, I have a slight leaning, but Jordan, was this as hard for you as it was for me? Yes. Okay, that's good. Hard. That's comforting. I have, t- I have two as well. Um, you got to pick one. You have to pick one. 
Okay, well, I'm going to eliminate. We saw him play at the six this year. I just don't think he has the defensive bite to play at the six. Okay, this is going to be a good conversation then because I I picked the six, but I picked it knowing full well and remembering, Jordan, when we watched Sporting Kansas City play Houston this past season and you dissected mm-hmm. his game at the six and you dissected the decisions he was making, understanding that, yes, he's a teenager, but these are things to build on and to work on. His decision-making was slow. His movement was slow. And so there are some real issues with playing him at the six. But I think, Jordan, I think that might be his best spot long-term. Not right now. Yeah. I do not think yeah. that's his safest spot right now. But if you think about number sixes that play in possession schemes, I'm going to use Sergio Busquets as an example, an extremely high-level example. Because he's so good. And He's so good, right? But he's not fast. <laughs> yeah. He's lanky. He's no. got the long legs. He kind of just gallops and glides around the field. But those words don't imply speed. He doesn't have elite athleticism in terms of his ability to accelerate. Busio doesn't either. He's got to find top speed, but he's a little bit, he's a little bit awkward, a little bit slow in his movement. And so my, my answer to this question of having him at the six is entirely dependent on him having the players around him and the team wide cohesion to counterpress after they lose the ball, if that's SKC or another team down the line, to counterpress as a team after they lose the ball and to work defensive-minded or at least defensively capable players around Busio so that his defensive weaknesses aren't exposed. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that when I look at, when I was watching back and remembering how he was playing at that six, there's there's things about playing the six that I think really fit who he is as a player. He has everything in front of him for the most part. He has the safety net of center backs or outside backs to play negatively if need be. But he has a good range of passing and can put the right texture on the ball to send people into the correct space, which really fits into that sixth position, especially the way uh, they like to play at Sporting Kansas City and the way the pressure that they put on the six to be a playmaking type. So I, I think that you're right in that. But I just I think the defensive responsibilities of a six, especially a lone six, make me think I, I just don't know if he has it. So I said an eight. Um but when, when we just talked about Pax and Pomico being an eight, I feel like they're very different eights. Agreed. Yeah, wh- why do you say that, I guess? What makes you think that? Well, I think that one of the keys I said for Paxson was he's really good at counterpressing. And I haven't seen, again, it goes back to the defensive presence and the bite of Busio. I don't, I haven't seen that yet from him. And I don't know if he has the defensive awareness tactically to have that same characteristic or me, for me to say he has that same characteristic as Paxton Pomichol. So I think that that changes how uh, intensely Sporting Kansas City can go counterpress a team because if he's not in the right spot or filling those defensive responsibilities, it breaks down so quickly because he's a little bit higher up the field. That's a good point. That's a good point. Busio has a high ceiling, even if we don't know exactly where he fits best right now. I mean, it's hard to project, and it even seems like Peter Vermees doesn't know exactly right. what his best spot's going to be. And I think that he's really good on the ball, though, too, like in, in a creative way. He has a little bit more ability to, um, I don't know, more than Paxton, but as the eight, he can playmake in tight spaces. So I do believe that that would be something that he can bring to that. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be down on him. I really do think that he has a lot of good characteristics. I just don't know where you fit that into his best position right now. That makes two of us. And maybe Chris has the answer. So Chris, hit us up. Let us know yeah, let where us know, where do you think Busio fits best? Because clearly Jordan and I aren't quite sure. 
<laughs> Jordan, we have gone through, I believe, five excellent listener questions. We've exhausted our list for the now. Thank you for joining me and talking soccer with me. I yeah. always enjoy it. Yeah, that was so fun. And thank you guys for the questions. We, You guys listen so intently and you ask really good questions and you want to know more. So we hope that um, these types of shows really help you learn a thing or two. And I know they're helping us, Joe. We're, we're looking at things a little bit differently, too. Absolutely. You guys rock. And we will be back again with another episode of MLS Assist very soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.